Good morning, everyone. Perhaps you've heard of a, a pastor by the name of Chuck Swindoll. Uh, pastor Chuck Swindoll tells a story uh, that I learned about this week about a man who had a, a rapidly growing business, and uh, he wanted to go to Europe and open up basically a new regional office over there in Europe. And so he planned to take his family with him for about a six-month business trip to go over to Europe. And uh, while he was there, he was going to leave his administrative assistant in charge with the home office here in the United States and basically gave the administrative assistant the instruction that, listen, I will send you an email every day with what you are to do, all the instructions, how you are supposed to lead this company and all the people within the company. And the administrative assistant said, sounds great, no problem, we'll take care of it. Uh, at the end of six months, the owner of the business returned back only to find his entire business and everybody in it completely and utterly in shambles. Uh, when he walked up to the building, he found that all the doors and the windows were propped open because the air conditioning had been off for weeks and they had not done anything to address it. Uh, he walked in and found the receptionist was enjoying her day uh, watching YouTube videos on her phone. He inquired, where is the administrative assistant? And various staff members pointed down the hall to what ordinarily would be their, um, their conference room, only to find that the conference room had been transformed into an Xbox game room and that everybody in the room there on staff was enjoying playing a rowdy game of Madden 22. No customers had been responded to, no products had been shipped, no sales meetings had been kept. Obviously, the owner was a little perturbed, and the owner confronted the admin assistant and said, didn't you get all of my emails? The admin assistant said, yes, absolutely. We got all the emails. In fact, we took time to read those emails every single day. The owner said, okay. The admin assistant began to pour out actually and said, you know what? We, we actually formed small groups within our staff. We called them email groups and we got together and we, we read the emails together and we talked about them so we could really dive in deep and just get the most out of the emails. He said, some within our company actually took it upon themselves to memorize the daily emails that you sent and really commit it to memory. But everybody, we read those emails every single day faithfully. And the owner, of course, said, well, did you do anything that I said to do in those emails? And, and the admin assistant stopped, looked very confused, thought about it for a moment, and genuinely said, well, we never considered actually doing what you said to do in the emails. This morning, we go to the second half of James chapter 1. If you have your Bible, let's go to James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 26 and learn from the Scripture, the realities of believers today, what it means, James will tell us, to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Hear the word of God now as we read James chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 19, read to the end of the chapter in verse 26, and I'll be reading the English Standard Version this morning. The word of God says this to us today. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's take a minute and let's pray together and ask God's blessing over his word this morning. Father, we humble ourselves before your word. We are grateful that in your word is contained truth, your truth, the truth, Father, and life, Lord, that there is the promise of salvation and new life, redemption, forgiveness of sins in your word this morning. Father, we pray for your people that as we listen to your word, Lord, that our ears might be open even as our mouths are closed, Father, that you might implant your word of grace and truth into us afresh this morning. Show us how not to simply hear the word, but to live it out and to do it. And Father, we we recognize that in every step of life, we cannot do it without 100% of your grace. And so, Father, we ask for more and more of your grace and your Holy Spirit's power in our lives this morning. It is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I gave you five points last week. Two points this morning. You're welcome in advance. Two points this morning. Two ways that Jesus invites us throughout the book of James to talk the talk and walk the walk of following this man who is God, Jesus Christ. Point number one, directly from the text, very simply is this, receive the word, capital W, the word, receive the word. And we see this very clearly told to us in verses 19 through 21 from James, the human author of this text, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God to us. James here begins by giving us three very distinct, simple, and yet life-changing family-changing, world-changing instructions. Step number one, as you see here, is be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. If we are honest, many of us are just terrible listeners. Every spouse is now looking over at their significant other going, this is a good day for you to be here. Uh, A man named Paul Tournier wrote uh, that conversations in our world today are, quote, dialogues of the deaf. How's that sound? You ever felt like you were having a dialogue with the deaf? That they just won't listen to you. Uh, That sounds very right about our culture in general here in uh, in present-day America. What's interesting is he wrote those words describing modern-day conversations, dialogues of the deaf, in 1970. And yet, if we think about these instructions from the book of James, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, they are the perfect rules of engagement for every topic since the year 2020, aren't they? God knows what he is doing. This is not new information. It is the best information. It teaches us how to engage not only with God, but with one another. Thinking about the wonderful events of 2020 that we have done such a great job of a, as a culture to engage with one another, be it the presidential election, social and racial justice, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, 
COVID, lockdowns, masks, vaccines, we can think of all the things. And presently, in our last several weeks, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But what about in our everyday lives? Not just the vitriol that we see on the news or on social media, and certainly it is there, but what about the way that we interact with people that we actually know? How do you listen and speak with your spouse? How do you listen and speak with your kids? How do you engage with your coworkers, your classmates at school, your friends, even one another here as a part of our church family? We love to skip listening, right? And, and in our sinfulness and in our inherent sinfulness, we tend to move straight to overreaction, straight to judgment, straight to anger, straight to bringing up the past that we said we would never bring up, straight to assuming the worst of the other person or people we are engaged with. But as believers, we need to be willing to listen and then speak and speak in a way that whenever we open our mouths, that the person or people that we are talking with, that what they come away most of all is the God-man, Jesus Christ, and his message of truth and grace. That is what people should come away anytime they talk with you. We're quick to hear others well only when we are quick to hear God's word for us well first. So the degree to which we are in a place of submission and listening to God is the degree to which we will then be able to listen well and love others well secondarily. After step one of being quick to listen, the Bible says be slow to speak. Meaning if you have the tendency of character like so many of us do to some degree or another to speak aggressively, James says that repentance should involve being slow to speak. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it bears repeating, God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you can listen twice as much as you talk. Not only that, I had never thought about this before, but it is interesting that God and in his infinite goodness and mercy and wisdom made humanity in such a way that our ears have no cover, but our mouth does. God did not make a mistake there. He knew what he was doing and he has designed us even in a way to honor one another and to fulfill this biblical command. Proverbs says it this way in the Old Testament, chapter 10 and verse 19. I love this verse. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Transgressions is a fancy word for sin. When words are many, sin is not lacking. It's a wise statement from the scripture. So we have step one, step two. Now step three is slow to anger. You've been around people that have an anger problem, right? Maybe in your heart of hearts this morning, you would say, I am that person with the anger problem, right? To be around somebody with an anger problem, it can be a scary experience. And if it is you this morning, then as this entire message and as the word always reminds us, there is grace and there is hope for you. But here from James first, this reality, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Your anger is not motivating, I promise, is not motivating your spouse or your children or your coworkers to do better. Your anger is not moving them to obedience or to holiness, and God is not pleased with our anger. God is not pleased with your temper tantrums. He's not pleased with your bitterness, your unforgiveness, or when you shut down 
on people. Our culture, I would say, has, has made a real virtue out of expressing your anger in the nastiest, most offensive way that you possibly can. We actually honor people in our culture who do that. The Bible has a very different message, doesn't it? It is not a virtue to pour out your anger in the most disgusting way that you possibly can. Now, it is possible for humanity to have righteous anger, right? The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. So yes, that is possible. And I do believe that there are moments that we as people do that. God does it perfectly every day. But it is not the norm, certainly for myself. And I think for most of us, if we're honest, it is not the norm for us to be angry and for it to truly be righteous. Usually behind that anger is selfishness. And so the Bible here gives us a much better way. It says, be slow to anger. Well, why? If someone has done something to me or a group of people have done something to me, why should I be slow to anger? Hear me this morning. We should be slow to anger because God the Father, a holy and righteous God, has been slow to anger with you. We do not deserve his mercy. We deserve a holy and righteous God's anger, wrath, and just punishment. God alone is holy and is righteous. He is just. Our sins are real. Our sins are great. And God has made a way. That is the message of the gospel, that God has sent his one and only son to take on all of God's righteous anger, to take on all of God's righteous judgment. Jesus paid the penalty for sins that you and I deserved to die for. God has been slow to anger with you. And if you've not experienced that grace and mercy, then let today be the day that you can pray and ask a holy and righteous God for mercy. And his answer is yes. Unless this transforming grace of Jesus changes our lives, though, we will tend to be quick to judge. We'll be, we'll be slow to listen and we'll be quick to tell people what we think that we know. That is why James here at the beginning of this passage tells us to receive the word of God into our hearts and lives. Again, he opens by saying in verses 19 through 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive the word of God. Receive the message of salvation from King Jesus. Receive and experience new life in Christ. What does that look like? It means admitting that my way, your way, has been wrong and embrace in your heart that God's word has authority in your life and that God's word has a solution for your life. And brothers and sisters, if you want to know what God's word is, it is contained in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament for you. This is an invitation, once again, to daily read it. Yes, to open it up, open God's word, comprehend it, receive it, chew on it, apply it to our lives, and live it out, and ultimately, yes, even do it. How? Notice that the gospel is the foundation. James calls it the implanted word that God has planted within you something that is from the outside, something that is foreign, truth, grace, righteousness. It is a gift from him. So God has given you this outward gift and has 
put it in you by his grace. We do not possess godliness on our own. We cannot save ourselves. We do not even possess truth on our own. It is implanted by God. The message contained in the scripture is able, it says, to save your souls. Salvation is a free gift. Faith and repentance in Jesus is a free gift. Being effectually called and awakened from spiritual death to life is a free gift of God to you. And so James invites us, commands us to receive the word of God, the words of life. So that, number two, we can do the word. Receive the word. Be forgiven of your sins and be given new life so that you can do the word. Remember that any amount of us doing is always a a response of thankfulness to what God has done first in our lives, his grace. And so verses 22 through 27 now, James is gonna unpack for us what it means to do, to live out his word. Let's read again verses 22 through 25. He writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. This has always been one of the more odd illustrations in scripture to me. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I like the way that the NIV reads here in verse 22, particularly it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Jesus, I'm sorry, James compares it to looking into a mirror. The mirror here is a metaphor for God's word. The mirror is God's word. And when we are putting ourselves in front of the mirror of God's word, at least two things should be happening. We should be reminded as we look into God's word of the the greatness of our sin and the profound wonderfulness of God's grace. Every time that we look in that mirror, we should be reminded, I am a sinner, I am in need of his grace, and we should be reminded that God has given us this grace, that his promise of kindness and forgiveness is real and it is true for us. The issue here that James is addressing in verses 22 and 23 and 24 is forgetfulness of God's word. We look into God's word, but we forget and we return to our old foolish ways And so James compares the foolishness of this first man with the wisdom of the second man who looks into God's perfect law of liberty. When James describes here this foolish man who is looking into the mirror, he uses a Greek word for look that really means sort of a passing glance. But now when he comes back to the wise man and describes the wise man who is looking into the perfect law of liberty, It is the same word look in English, but in Greek, it is a totally different word that means to to stand over it, to, to engage it, to study it deeply and to stare at every nuance of it. And that's what he is talking about for us. Notice the way that he describes God's perfect law. The world does not describe God's law this way, does it? The world will tell you that God's law, God's rules are a prison, God is the divine killjoy. If you want to do anything fun, then you need to flout, ignore, and break all of God's laws because God's laws just ruin everything. But the Bible gives us a different story, doesn't it? 
The truth is that God's law is liberty. God's law is freedom. To walk in God's ways, to talk his talk and to walk his walk brings freedom from sin, freedom from pain, freedom from the consequences of our mistake, not a prison. Sin is a prison. Turning back to those old ways, to those foolish ways, to those ditches that we walk through that we know what will happen, that is a prison. And sin itself, a a way to think about it is that sin is a prison that is locked from the inside. (laughs) That in our sinfulness, we choose to go back to these foolish ways, but God's law is liberty. And so when you receive God's word of grace, it changes you. And it enables you to do now what God's word says. His free grace enables us to cast off the hypocrisy of hearing God's word, but then not actually doing it and to live a new life in which you are free to do what he has called you to do with your life. Even this morning, as we sit under God's word, or maybe you gather in that men's Bible study on Wednesday, or you're a part of a city group, or it's with someone in your family, or just on your own with God and his word and in prayer, Let this week be a fresh week to say, God, I don't want to just hear what you have to say. I want to do it. I want to live it out. I can only do it by your grace, but help me do the next right thing to follow in your ways. It's life-changing. There's blessing in it. Pastor R. Kent Hughes in his commentary on this exact thought says, there is a world of difference between reading a menu and eating a meal. Are we stuck just reading the menu or have we tasted and seen, says the book of Psalms, that the Lord is good. The Bible says that there is great blessing from God for doing what he says, freedom and blessing for doing what he says. And James here is going to end by, again, being very practical. The book of James is filled with how do I be a Christian? What do I do? What does it look like to follow Christ? He's going to end by giving us three very specific, hard-hitting applications, and that's what we want to finish out looking at now. He says in verses 26 and 27, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James is not in the business of making friends, I would say here with some of these verses. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I wonder if you had the chance to guess, you know, if God was going to give me three simple instructions for what does it mean to do the Christian life well, we wouldn't necessarily guess these three, would we? I don't think that this is an exhaustive list of what it means to follow after Christ, but it is interesting that these are the three that James wants to tease out for the believers then and this morning. So the first of the applications is this, bridle your tongue. Bridle your tongue. The metaphor here is 1,500 pounds of angst, energy, excitement, muscle, and power known as a horse. This is what he is talking about. Your tongue has the power of that horse to do God's word by his grace or to trample someone underfoot. And the Bible here says that we ought to keep our tongue bridled. This is a bridle. I will confess I am not a skilled horseman, 
But I did look it up on Google, and it says that a bridle directs a horse. It includes three things. Addison, you can check me on this after the service. It includes the headstall, the bit, and the reins, and that bridle tells the horse, the rider tells the horse where to go. If you and I as believers do not submit ourselves to the leadership and guidance and the goodness of the Holy Spirit, rather we let our tongue tear others apart, the Bible says that our religion is worthless. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? Despite uh, what our culture tells you too, notice that the word religion is not a bad word. We inflict the word religion on others and, and we have turned the word into something to mean hypocrisy and insincerity or, or deception or dishonesty. And certainly there are many who are religious in our world today and in the scripture uh, who exhibited those characteristics. But the word religion itself simply means worship. Religion means worship. Now, there are many believers who will tell you, uh, I'm not religious, I, I just have a relationship with Christ, and I understand what they mean, and I resonate with what they are saying. But you don't have to throw out the word religion. Understand here, James is using the word religion, and he is saying that you can either worship the God of the Bible in truth and in grace and live out pure religion, or you can experience and live out a false religion in which you worship things that aren't worthy of your worship and the results are sin, are corruption, are that dishonesty that we all recoil at and say, I don't want to be like that. James says our religion can be worthless or our religion can be pure. So for us, if you worship God on a Sunday and then the remainder of the week, you tongue lash everyone on social media or people run the other way when they see you coming, your coworkers, your classmates, or your family in the way that you talk, then the Bible says your unbridled tongue makes your religion worthless. Ephesians 4.29 in the New Testament gives us a better way when it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Who are the people in your life that when you are around them, you find that when they open their mouths, you are encouraged? That when they speak, they point you towards Jesus, or they point you towards hope, or they are good listeners to whatever you may be going through, and they encourage you. That is what James is inviting us into. I want us to think for a moment, though, back away from the personal to think about the bigger picture, as we should be, we're obviously very well aware that in the public forum, we have seen in the last three and a half weeks now how our country has engaged the conversation around Roe v. Wade being overturned. Let me be clear. We should rejoice that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. We should rejoice that the 2,600 children who are being killed every day in our country, that some of them will live and that the moms and the dads of those children will not live the rest of their lives with grief over a mistake. But if we only tell people that abortion is murder, we have missed the boat, guys. What we say and what we do, the words that we use, the actions that we take must most of all communicate this. I am a sinner. 
Jesus Christ has poured out his grace on me and he would love to do the same for you. If our words do not communicate, listen, the reason that I believe that there is great importance and value to human life is because the Bible tells me from the moment of conception all the way to the moment that you die and go to be with God, that God made every single person. He made them with incredible value. He made them in the image of God. As a father loves his children, he loves you and he loves every single person. If we just say abortion is murder and we don't befriend, get to know, spend time with anybody who has made any sort of mistake, whether it be an abortion or any other sin, if we don't identify with them in that grief, hear their story, find out what was going on in their lives at that time, why they made the decisions that they made, if we don't love mothers well, if we don't love fathers well, if we don't love families well who have been a part of this, then we have missed the boat We have to do both, speak the truth and live out a radical grace. We want anybody to walk into this church, regardless of what is in their past, regardless of what mistakes they have made, regardless of what questions they may have, that they feel welcome here, that they feel loved here, that they do not walk in the door and feel like these people can all be forgiven by God, but my particular sin, God would not forgive. Or even worse, I know God will forgive it, but they won't forgive it. That is not how we want to live and carry ourselves. Application number two. He says, visit the fatherless and the widow. Bridle your tongue and visit the fatherless and the widow. Particularly in James' day and age, to be without a husband or without a father meant that you were desperately in need helpless to provide for yourself. We are grateful that in our world today, that is not necessarily the case, although very often you will find that the fatherless and the widow find themselves in one level of need or another, but we can see clearly in our culture today a horrific lack of godly husbands and godly fathers. And God has invited us to step into people's lives wherever they are and to love them wherever they are. And so James gives us a very clear-cut statement. Christianity, without care for the needy and the helpless among us, is worthless. Christianity that does not care for the fatherless, that does not care for the widow, is worthless. 1 John in the New Testament, chapter 3 gives us some instructions about how to begin to live that out. First John says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This is a simple equation. If God has blessed you with anything, hold loosely to it, recognizing that it's a wonderful gift from a good God and share it with others. Sometimes it is hard to know how do I begin to practically step into that, but to begin to change our hearts to have God's perspective on those in needs will radically change our lives, our church, our city, and our world. The church of Jesus since the earliest days of Christianity in the New Testament, while under persecution from Rome, led the way in caring for those in need, those who were overlooked, those who were rejected, those who were treated as subhuman. They were given financial mercy, medical care, and adoption, among many things. 
The Roman emperor Julian, writing in the fourth century, regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. And he writes this in a letter in the fourth century. He says, the Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And by Jew, he is talking about Jewish Christians. It's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, again, Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Oh, may it be in our day as well. That an evil emperor in the world, and this man was a wicked man, writes a letter to another saying, it's driving me crazy because Christians keep taking care of their people and our people and they're making us look bad. Let it be that way yet again today. Christians have led the way in adoption and foster care, and we absolutely must redouble our efforts in that area with the overturning of Roe v. Wade here in this country in this day. We must continue to partner with and serve the two local pregnancy resource centers that are in our city, one of which is a mile from where you sit at the moment here in Bayside, If you don't know about it, check out the flyer that's back there at the welcome table. They both do a phenomenal job of meeting the holistic needs of mommies, daddies, and babies. All three. Um, Some of my greatest joyous memories have been teaching a new parenting class with pregnancy resources over the years with brand new moms and dads who have the same look of terror and confusion and joy in their face that I had at one time as well. They meet all the needs. How can we be a part of what they are doing? How do I begin? What do I do? Lord, you've convicted my heart. You've shown me that out of your kindness to me, I want to pour out kindness to others. How do I begin? Pray and ask the question of God. Who in my city, who in my church, who in my circle would you have me care for? We are all well aware that the needs are overwhelming. There is not a lack of needs. Some will present themselves, obviously. Others, people are not going to want to stand up and say, I have a need. And you have to engage with them and love them through a process. But begin with that prayer, Lord. Who in my city, in my church, and in my circle needs mercy, needs care? Who in my neighborhood? Who at the school that my kids are at? Who at my place of business needs help? Who is a child without a father or mother? Who is a woman without a husband? Who is someone who is in need? Why? Why? Because in caring for the fatherless and the widow, we reflect the goodness of our heavenly father who loves deeply the fatherless and the widow because we recognize that all of us spiritually, because of our sin, had rejected a good and loving father, and that father reached out and pursued us and adopted us back into his family. Why am I slow to anger? Because God has been slow to anger with me. Listen to Psalm 68, verse five, describing God, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe your father is on planet earth, but you in, in every practical way are fatherless. 
Maybe your mother is here on planet earth, but in many practical ways, you are motherless, whether you are two or 20 or 50 or whatever the case may be. God and God alone fills the holes, the voids, the hurts. He is a father to the fatherless. Third and finally, third application, keep yourself holy. Keep yourself holy. Does this surprise you? Again, that that the third and final application that James would want to give you is to keep oneself from being unsoiled by the world. That his final command is obedience to God's word, to keep oneself from being polluted, says some translations. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Don't do that. Don't call evil good and call good evil. Practically for us, there are those who will twist Christianity into being about one thing. And they will say Christianity is only about doing nice things for other people. Or there are those who will twist Christianity and say Christianity is only about obeying the rules, personal holiness, doing the right thing, or or believing the correct theology. They are both wrong. Jesus teaches clearly throughout Old and New Testament that it is both, you don't have to make a choice, and that there is so much more that gives us a beautiful picture of what it means to follow hard after Christ. But bottom line, anything that we do, any righteous thing that we do must be tied to a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. On our own, outside of his goodness and grace to us, everything that we do is filthy rags, says the scripture. So as we think about his applications here, self-control, particularly as related to our tongue, is an outgrowth of a life made new in Christ, in which you say, I'm no longer in charge, Jesus. I want you to be in charge of my my words and my life. Caring for those in need around you is an outgrowth of the mercy that we have experienced, wanting others to experience it as well. And love for God expressing itself in holiness, in obedience to his truth and loving his truth is an outgrowth of thankfulness to God knowing that on my own, I can do nothing to please God. Even my ability to obey is a gift of his kindness to me. And like the administrative assistant with all of those emails, we've been given the word of God that we desire to not simply be hearers, but to do it as well by his grace. Amen. Let's pray together.